Hi, I'm Marlon Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I have got another episode of the podcast for you guys. Excuse me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I am, uh, I, I sort of did a draft of this episode earlier today, um, and it was a little uh, grim and gloomy, I is uh, the best way to put it for those of you who have not been paying too much attention to politics recently. Reproductive rights are in a pretty precarious place in the United States right now. And um, yeah, that sort of gets into uh, pretty serious uh, concerns, I think, for the future. And while admittedly, um, turning kind of negative stuff for positive ends is, uh, I think, an underreported element of my brand, um, you know, spite as driving positive behavior and things like that. Um, I, I sort of decided that while I think um, what I had to say was basically all correct, it was also mean-spirited and you know it's it's okay to back off a little bit um with regard to that sort of thing um so uh, anyway instead of talking about some of the things that i was talking about in the version of the episode that is sort of still in the the drafts on Anchor, but we'll probably never actually see the light of day. Um, I thought I would talk about some more kind of positive things while also um, acknowledging that there are some pretty significant things going on in the real world, and I'm not going to necessarily shy away from that sort of material um, if I think it is appropriate to talk about and uh, specifically um, what I'm one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to add a couple of links to um, the show notes for um, shows going forward for some amount of time I guess we'll see exactly um, how uh, long I decide uh, the notes are useful to add. Um, specifically, one of them is an actblue.com slash donate slash funds, which allows you to donate to a number of um, organizations that are dedicated to protecting reproductive rights in Texas, um, which is to say there's been a lot of discussion online today about places to donate to and to uh, support materially. And one of the kind of continuous elements of the discussion is the value of supporting local organizations rather than supporting national organizations um, in terms of making a, a material difference in affected people's lives. Um, so obviously, especially if you uh, live in the U.S. yourself, um, I encourage you to do some research on organizations that exist within your own state or your own communities, um, but this is one that happens to exist within mine. And so if you are uh, not going to do that research, or especially, you know, if you uh, live in uh, another part of the world and feel like sending some 
uh, dollars or pence or whatever other funny money you guys use um, in support of people who uh, are in, in pretty serious danger of losing reproductive rights, you can do that through the link provided relatively easily. Um, the other link I'm going to be putting in is a link to an itch.io page, which is a, um, uh, I don't entirely know how all of the kind of elements of this work, but itch does these um, game jams where you can um, submit your stuff to things. And then um, often that turns into a, a bundle. Um, and in this case, it's still in the jam stage, um, but you can add if you are someone who publishes um, stuff on uh, itch.io, you can add your own products to this particular bundle. Um, and if you are not someone who has products on itch.io, at some point it'll turn into a, uh, a bundle that you can purchase with a whole bunch of uh, really cool um, RPG products so that you can, uh, you know, the, the idea being that um, in, in the, once it all kind of comes together, that um, you, uh, you know, can, can purchase a bundle and the proceeds go to uh, various organizations that are dedicated to protecting reproductive rights in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to put those in the show notes uh, for uh, at least a little while going forward. Um, I did something a little like this on my YouTube channel at one point where I um, basically have been uh, sharing a, a link to the National MS Society's donation page um, because I think they do good work. And, you know, if you feel like uh, sending some money towards something that I care about as a reflection of um, sort of whatever value you might have gotten out of um, listening to, to my stuff or things like that. Um, that is a way to do it. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of what I'm going to say um, about that subject right now. I will also add before anybody um, calls in about that sort of thing, just to be clear, if you call in from a conservative perspective talking about, you know, triggered libs or something, I'm going to make fun of you and call you an absolute fucking snowflake. Um, and that is, you know, going to be the, the content of my response to that. So, you know, you're welcome to, but you're not going to gain anything out of it. Or, you know, if you do gain something out of it, that's fine. And we can, you know, trade, uh, you know, discussion about each other's sexual preferences and things like that back and forth and, you know, have a good time uh, with that sort of thing. But uh, it's not going to be a... Uh, constructive response to uh, bullshit like that. So anyway, um, yeah, let's talk about uh, other stuff that's going on. All right. So what has been going on with me? 
um, a number of things. I, uh, I played in a game on Sunday that was a lot of fun. Uh, my buddy Jason had uh, mentioned to me that a friend of his was setting up a sword and sorcery game uh, several months ago. And uh, we sort of got together and uh, <laughs> had not really been able to make things happen um, until this weekend. Um, which to be clear is uh, in a large part on me because I had uh, mistakes and, and misunderstandings um, for many of the weekends that we were supposed to play. Um, I, I think one weekend I had uh, not paid attention to the fact that uh, the scheduling was in EST instead of CST and so totally missed that uh, I was supposed to be done with uh, stuff at the specific time. And then there was another where I think I had a, a family thing that um, I ended up uh, getting kind of involved in and all of that. Anyway, all of that is to say it was really fun to play some Barbarians of Lemuria on Sunday. Um, I think that was the only game this weekend, the only group game, certainly. I did some solo stuff, although not a lot of, not really kind of uh, play stuff yet. I'm, I'm still kind of moving into uh, play for solo stuff for the kind of uh, project that I'm working on. Um, although speaking about that, um, Che Webster and I have been kind of talking about an idea um, that I sort of, uh, sort of put to him in some ways, and we've been kind of bouncing things back and forth a little bit. And I, I posted on the Discord today um, his Discord, the, the Roleplay Rescue Discord, about it. Um, so if you're not a member of the Roleplay Rescue Discord, um, I don't know if I have a uh, permanent link to the Roleplay Rescue Discord, but I know that if you go to Che's Patreon and sign up as a patron for at least a dollar a month, um, you will, if your Patreon and Discord um, stuff is connected, um, you will just get automatically added and you'll get your name in like a green color there for the patrons. So that's fun too. Um, and, uh, for, for sort of disclosure, um, feel like it's worth, uh, mentioning that I myself, um, am a $3 patron, $3 tier patron, $3 a month tier patron of Roleplay Rescue, um, and have been for some time, although I missed a, a month or two kind of in between different things, um, just basically based on bad budgeting on my part and, um, you know, not, not planning for costs very well and all of that, um, which is, uh, yeah, a whole another thing. But anyway, um, so the, the idea at present is for a sort of, um, the, the kind of idea has to do with a, a sort of um, solo play, although it doesn't have to be solo play necessarily, but a, a world that is shared between a number of GMs that is kind of expanded upon and uh, uncovered in the course of play um, as people play in the world that kind of things happen and, and they sort of uncover, you know, things in the world. 
um, and those get sort of added into the, the sort of world lore over time. Um, but simultaneously, that uh, one of the th sort of ideas that we've been bouncing around is a sort of um, a kind of inherent uh, narrative unreliability to the sort of world lore that um, the, the kind of part of the idea is to sort of expand and uncover world lore through adventures in the world, but that the kind of reports of the adventures maybe have an element of inherent unreliability. And so what you end up with is a kind of, you know, kind of like the, the your Glorantha may vary sort of thing that you end up with um, everybody's kind of version of the story and, and the world is a little bit different based on what they uh, want to, to kind of put into their version of the world, right? Um, anyways, that's a, a whole thing. Um, and we have not done a whole lot on that subject at present. I just sort of put out the, the word about this idea today on the Discord um, and then I got busy doing other things and didn't uh, make the thread to talk about it um, like I had planned on. Um, so I guess I'll do that tomorrow at some point. Um, but anyway, all of that is to say that's the sort of thing um, that I'm kind of interested in uh, working on um, and, uh, you know, figuring out how to kind of bring that across in play and and that kind of idea i think i'm really interested in the idea of having it be a world that includes a lot of kind of uh solo tools but solo tools that have a um sort of permissive adaptability to them right and so you have kind of tools for all sorts of different elements of, of kind of generative stuff in solo play um but also part of the expectation is to kind of tinker with the tools to make things your own, right? That you, you're you not necessarily beholden to use the specific tools in the specific way um, that anybody else does. They're kind of available, right? So you might have like a random encounter table and you can say, okay, well, I like a lot of stuff about this, but I want to kind of tinker with some of the things um, and that that's totally fine, right? Anyway, um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, another thing that is going on. Um, and that's sort of related to a, a sort of solo play thing that I'm working on for YouTube. Uh, right now, the plan is to do the solo play stuff for YouTube using Torchbearer 2nd Edition, which is uh, the recent game from the Burning Wheel people, um, and to do kind of a, a blend of different things with Torchbearer 2nd Edition, um, including one of the things that I have been kind of thinking a lot about has to do with the relationship between the kind of um, uh, procedural and generative stuff that I have been really focused on with solo play recently and um, kind of experiential uh, detail, this, this idea of kind of getting into kind of the character's experiences and and their kind of thoughts and feelings and, uh, you know, occupying their kind of worldview as part of play. And I'm not entirely sure how to blend those two effectively, but I have kind of a number of ideas 
on uh, ways to work on that. Um, for right now, I'm sort of working on um, a couple of uh, things with regard to that. Um, but it's a, it's a whole process, right? And it's a, it's a complicated thing, right? Because we're sort of talking about the idea of like, you know, uh, narrative style and, and all of that sort of stuff as it relates to RPGs. Um, and so I'm, yeah, working on that, but I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with that. Um, I also, uh, I did a, a, in my most recent at present, although not by the time you guys listen to this YouTube video, um, I talked a little bit about another thing that I'm doing, which is sort of shifting the um, art for my YouTube stuff uh, to basically make sure that I am only using stuff that is either kind of really, really clearly under fair use or that is within the public domain or that is stuff that I own. I don't own very much stuff um, at present. I basically have the, the couple of icons that I've licensed from, uh, from Icon Scout, um, especially the little sword in the stone thing that I use for my live from Pelham's Wasteland stuff. Um, uh, although I talked, I've, I've been talking with an artist a little bit about commissioning some art but um, commissioned art is going to be quite expensive. And so I, I, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, it's just part of the, the nature of the beast that it's not like I can, you know, afford, you know, 10 pieces of art for a solo play episode. Um, that's just, you know, not really in the cards. And, and it's not really um, something that uh, I think is that necessary either. But basically, I the, the sort of long story short is that I kind of um, had a, a realization about the use of other people's art and the way in which I felt like my kind of um, habits were based on convenience rather than on um, kind of ethical considerations, especially. Um, and there is also kind of a legal issue, but I, to be honest, I'm not that worried about the, the legal stuff as much as I am worried about the kind of ethical stuff of, you know, using somebody's art without their permission and especially without even being able to credit them. Um, if it's a, a, a situation where like, I just, you know, found the art on, um, a Google image search or something. So I, I basically decided that I'm going to, uh, you know, use fair use stuff. So like, you know, thumbnails that are the um, cover of a game that I'm overviewing in the video, that's pretty clearly fair use or, or to show off art from what, a game in a video like that, pretty clearly fair use. But um, otherwise to really emphasize using public domain or creative commons stuff. And it actually turns out that there's a, a fairly um, active community uh, around that sort of thing. Uh, a number of, especially photographers contributing um, photos under creative commons licensing and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, I don't think it's going to have a, uh, a huge 
impact on my kind of ability to put up kind of interesting visuals and stuff like that. I think it's really something that is going to work pretty well um, going forward. And I'm, I'm interested and, and excited about that kind of change because I think it's something that I am uh, really going to be a lot more comfortable with. Um, and that's a, an important thing. Um, what else is going on? I don't know. There's, there's kind of a number of things that have gone on that I haven't talked about. Um, which is to say that I was having very, very bad allergies fairly recently, um, a couple of weeks ago, essentially. Um, and I ended up visiting my doctor and we kind of came up with a, a antihistamine plan that has helped me a lot. Um, and then from there, um, I also ended up basically, uh, on the sort of recovery from, uh, really, really serious, uh, allergies. I ended up, um, injuring my, uh, shoulder kind of doing something around my collarbone. Um, it, it was not, a, like a fracture of the bone or anything. It was pretty clearly just a, you know, like a, a muscle that got pulled or a tendon that got pulled or something like that. Um, but I did have my left arm in uh, a sling for most of the time that I was up and moving around for about a week. Um, and my parents have a, a heating pad that I was uh, putting on my shoulder while I was at the computer um, to kind of try to accelerate recovery and comfort and all that. Um, anyway, so, uh, but I'm doing much better now. Um, and I think it was, it was, uh, not great, but it was okay in some ways, which is to say, I think there is a, a sort of value in kind of, uh, low level chaos as a sort of test of the system without letting the system fall apart, if that makes sense. Um, which is to say that I think a little bit of kind of chaos and, and, and struggle and all of that was a good way to kind of test out sort of um, what I do that's really important and what is kind of less important, right? And, and thinking about prioritizing and, and structuring my habits and all of that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, so I think that was a, that was kind of not a, not a horrible thing. Obviously it wasn't great to, to feel shitty from allergies and then to, um, be having some collarbone pain and feeling like I needed to have my arm in the sling. Um, but that it wasn't, uh, uh wasn't as horrible as it might've been under other circumstances. Um, and I think I, you know, have learned a fair bit about myself from the experience in some ways, the, the kind of idea of, um, you know, paying attention to, like, what do you actually need, right? What what elements of the structure are necessary and what are things that you can kind of be okay with letting slide a little bit um, because things do slide, right? And so, you know, if you have to let something slide, figure out what's okay to let slide and what's not okay to let slide. Um, so, yeah, that was a, an interesting thing. Um, and, you know, doing, doing much better. I've been, uh, back on the exercise track, um, which is good. 
I uh, spent a fair bit of time with my mom over the weekend, which was great. My dad did a, a great big bike ride that he does most years, the MS-150, um, which traditionally has been a bike ride from Houston to Austin over the course of two days. Um, they changed it a little bit so that now it's a ride from Houston or from Austin to a kind of middle point on the first day, and then a ride from that middle point to uh, College Station uh, the second day. So it's about the same length, but it's a little bit different now. Um, and I think part of that has to do with like the, uh, I think a big thing has to do with the, the sort of, um, what the organization had, uh, access to in terms of like staging, especially for the finale that I think part of it is that, um, college station, which is where, uh, uh, Texas A&M, the, the university is located, um, was much more willing to allow, um, the, the organization to rent out their football field for the kind of big, uh, finale section than the sort of stuff that they had been doing. Um, anyway, but so my dad was busy with that and I ended up uh, going over and uh, walking Clover the dog with my mom and hanging out with her on Saturday and then doing grandparent breakfast and some other kind of stuff with her on Sunday before gaming. Um, so yeah, it was a, it's a good weekend, fairly low key, um, but also fairly productive, which is a, a nice blend. Um, and what else has been going on? I don't know. There's, well, there's a couple of things that are going on. And actually, I think what I'm going to do is pause the recording here and then talk a little bit about habits. All right. So um, I am back. That was a, a bit of a longer real life pause than I expected, which is to say that it's uh, rather than kind of late afternoon, it's now full on evening. Um, but I, um, yeah, I thought I would talk a little bit more about some of the things that I have been, uh, working on, especially kind of habit wise. And there's a, a kind of a, a complicated set of things going on, which is to say that I'm going to start with a sort of story, um, I remember distinctly one weekend in, I, I think it must have been junior year of high school, although it could have been senior year, um, where I had gotten almost everything that I needed to, to do homework-wise over the weekend done ahead of time. I, um, over the course of my time in high school, got really, really good at using time in either downtime in class or downtime at school where I wasn't necessarily kind of doing anything else to um, uh, get homework done, basically, that um, I ended up, uh, I, I ended up getting good at kind of getting schoolwork done at school, basically, um, which is a whole kind of thing, but it was uh, central to kind of my kind of time management that went on in, uh, especially in high school, 
um, that a lot of my friends, I think, spent a lot more time working on homework outside of school. And I got really good at just kind of, you know, buckle down and try to get it done, you know, in, in downtime in class or whatever. Um, and uh, anyway, um, all of that is to say that uh, this particular weekend I had done almost everything and I, I don't remember the specific circumstances, um, but I was either home alone or um, if anybody was home, they were uh, doing other things. And I um, probably kind of between noon and 1 p.m. Um, on Saturday, sat down at the computer and kind of looked through my Steam library and tried to figure out what I might want to play in terms of video games as the idea being to sort of sit and play video games for most of the afternoon and um, spent, you know, 15 or 20 minutes working on that until I settled on Medieval 2 Total War, which is one of my favorite games of all time um, and that I um, ended up spending basically like the next three hours essentially trying to work up the energy to actually start playing a game that I really love. Um, and I, I sort of, you know, was listening to music and, and watching YouTube videos and kind of just, you know, hanging out and doing other things instead of, you know, just kind of sitting down and focusing on playing a game that I knew intellectually would be a lot of fun. Um, but somehow there's a, a, a resistance in me to certain things like that. And I, I suspect, or my, my modern interpretation of that has to do with that as an element of depression, a, a resistance to doing things that make me happy is a element, a, a core element of depression. And especially the way that my depression manifests tends to be um, related to uh, fatigue and malaise and exhaustion. And it, it's very similar to um, uh, the sense of uh, having been kind of dead tired um, a couple of times in my life, that, that sort of sense of being, you know, so tired that, you know, all you care about is getting uh, rest, no concern for kind of any other consideration in that moment, but just sort of desperately in need of rest because you're you're so so tired um that's sort of what my depression manifests as is is a sort of that kind of you know absolute unconcern for everything else um but not in a, a reasonable way in the sense of you know that there is a time when you sort of really do your body really does kind of desperately need rest but if you're, you know, depressed and sleeping 14 hours a day, you're not in that position, right? Um, anyway, um, yeah. So it's a it's a whole thing. But but what I'm getting at has to do with my own um, sort of resistance to doing 
things that help me. Um, and it's, it's terribly irrational. Um, so I don't, you know, it doesn't make any sense to behave in that way, but that's just part of my nature. Um, and, you know, saying that it's irrational doesn't necessarily solve the problem is, is one of the issues. Um, even recognizing that it's irrational doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Um, and this sort of ties into another element, which is to say, I think one of the really insidious things about depression and, and about a lot of mental health issues and, and even um, not even necessarily mental health issues, but just kind of neurodivergences has to do with um, coping mechanisms where, you know, the coping mechanism can become a habit that sort of keeps you in that space in some ways. Um, over the course of 2020 and 2021, among other things, one of the things that I ended up doing um, kind of around the time of uh, sort of COVID and lockdown beginning is that I basically got in the habit of ordering food for delivery. Um, and I had been been ordering uh, groceries to be delivered for some time because I don't own a car. Um, so much easier to have the grocery store bring the groceries to me um, if, I, you know, if I'm getting a, a, an order larger than what is easy to carry on a short, you know, maybe a third of a mile or half mile walk to the grocery store because I live pretty close to a, a local HEB. Um, anyway, what I am uh, getting at has to do with, um, I, I ended up regularly ordering from DoorDash. And, and basically, I think the reason for that is is sort of a positive, which is to say that I was able to recognize that if I didn't get someone else to cook food and bring it to me, that I would likely end up um, not eating, right? Um, which is a, an issue. But the problem is what happens when you're not in that space anymore, right? And, and the way in which that um, uh, that element of, of habit can become something that keeps you in that space or that brings you back to it. And in particular, um, even if the habit doesn't keep you in that space or bring you back to it, it you know, there's uh, an important element of, you know, uh, an ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure, which is to say that, um, in my opinion, you know, developing good habits that uh, even if they don't necessarily kind of, you know, attack depression at the source, at least do a better job of hitting it a little further upstream, if that makes sense, um, that those are, are more, more valuable, more useful, a, a better response to that kind of issue, um, which makes sort of perfect logical sense, but is not necessarily as easy to put into place um, as saying that is. Um, 
And there's a couple of, uh, of other things related to that. Another element, and I haven't talked that much about it, has to do with um, a, a, a term that I have heard a couple of times. Um, the, the phrase that I have heard, um, or the, the one I like to use, is default to attack. And it specifically refers to the idea of um, in a in a military situation, behavior in combat, um, when there are not kind of direct orders being issued from above, how do soldiers respond in chaotic combat situations? Um, which is to say that the kind of general response to bullets in the air is get your head down and get behind cover and stay there because you don't want to get shot, right? Um, and the sort of idea has to do with the sort of um, the ethos of the American military in general, and especially the um, United States Marine Corps, um, which is to say that the, the sort of logic of this is that actually, you know, if you have, you know, 10 soldiers in the field, um, if only one of them responds to getting shot at with shooting back, that one is in very serious danger. But if all 10 of them respond to getting shot at by shooting back, that they will get the other side to keep their heads down and that well, they will actually, you know, each individual is actually safer by doing something that is kind of... Uh, less safe as an individual, but better for the organization, if that makes sense. Um, and this sort of gets into a theory about um, the way that various kind of um, elements, uh, it, the, the French term that gets used sometimes is Elan, which I think comes out of a fairly kind of Napoleonic era understanding of uh, warfare, but uh, Anyway, what, what I'm getting at has to do with the idea of responding to chaos aggressively rather than defensively um, as a sort of general concept. Um, and there are sort of a number of versions of this, but one of the simplest ones that I saw a person talking about on Twitter was just, you know, not dealing with things later. Deal with them now, right? You know. If you, you know, if the trash can is full, don't say, oh, I'll take it out in a few minutes. Just go ahead and take the trash out and, and you know, deal with it now, right? Um, and I think one of the things is that that kind of interruption can be, um, can make it difficult to uh, get longer things done if you're not sort of as good at, like, maintaining focus and energy over time. And I think that's one of the things that depression does to you. Um, and so I've kind of allowed myself to develop all these coping mechanisms that involve kind of, you know, like trying to protect a, a meager amount of energy that I might have in a day um, by not doing things that don't desperately need to get done and saying, you know, you know what, I, you know, even though the trash is mostly full, there's still a little bit of room. And so I'm not going to go ahead and take the trash out because I, you know, don't know if that is going to, you know, be a little too kind of expensive resource wise 
um, to get other important things done over the course of the day, um, right? It, it, sort of intense scarcity of resources as a, a sort of concept around behavior. And I'm doing my best to unlearn those habits, which is a difficult thing to do, as with a lot of things I've been talking about, much easier to say than to do. But I think there are some good things that I have done so far um, and that I can improve on some of the things that I've done so far to make more progress on that front. Um, so there are a couple of things that I've been doing recently to try to make progress on that front. Um, I've been getting back into regular exercise, um, which has been really good. Um, I, I found myself remarkably missing exercise when I was uh, feeling shitty from allergies and then had injured my collarbone, um, which I sort of did not necessarily expect um, based on kind of previous times in my life when I have been more diligent about exercising that I, I don't know if I've ever really been able to create a kind of sustained habit to the point where I miss it when I'm unable to do it. Um, and that seems like a really good place to be. Um, and it sort of gets into uh, another thing. There's a, a YouTube channel that I have watched a couple things from called um, ADHDM, which is uh, uh, ADHD with DM as in Dungeon Master, uh, a portmanteau of those two things. Um, and the, the specific guy who does these videos talks a lot about um, his kind of issues with regard to um, the, the neurodivergence associated with ADHD and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff that he gets at, um, and it particularly gets into a thing that I've thought for a long time, which is to say that, you know, if ADHD, uh, full kind of ADHD is like 12 different symptoms, that the average person is at like at least four to six, which is to say that I think um, most people have a little bit of that stuff, um, you know, like object impermanence, right? Forgetting food that's at the back of the fridge because you can't see it when you look in the fridge and things like that. Or having too many tabs open on the computer because you're worried you're going to lose track of what you were working on, things like that. I think those are things that are um, tremendously common in the modern world um, and are kind of related to some of those things. Anyway, um, one of the things he talks about has to do with the idea that the, the ADHDM talks about has to do with the idea of um, success and enjoyment as key to building habits. Um, and I think, again, this is something that we sort of almost like everybody has some of it, but you kind of pretend a lot of people, I think, pretend that this isn't a factor as much in their kind of behavior and habits. Um, I think it's really obvious, for instance, in, in children. Um, I, I think I've told the story before, 
but I remember distinctly when I was in seventh grade and we um, in English class were reading aloud from a book and I believe that it was the Wizard of Earthsea but I don't remember for certain um, I think we read the Wizard of Earthsea for um, seventh grade or for or kind of in a small group within that English class um, anyway and some of my classmates seemed to stumble over like every other word right just just stumbling all the time with reading out loud um, and there are kind of a number of, of reasons for that I think one of the things that is difficult about reading out loud is that you sort of have to intentionally if you read faster than you speak like I do um, you really have to intentionally focus on slowing down and reading as you speak because otherwise you end up, you know, stumbling over things because you're reading ahead of what you're speaking and lose track of everything and all that. Um, but I don't think that was the case here. I think what was happening was that it was um, other students who had not had nearly as much practice with reading when they were younger and therefore you know were you know significantly disadvantaged at reading by seventh grade and i suspect a lot of that has to do with being kind of ahead of the curve versus behind the curve right that you know kids who find that reading comes very easily and therefore read a lot when they are young stay ahead of the curve all the way through right and they you know continue to read and in particular that they end up you know being able to comfortably read all of the reading assigned to them in middle school and high school and part of the point is that once you get to college right the, the difference between uh, a, a student who has been kind of reading all the material or at least most of the material all the way through and one who hasn't is I think likely to be really significant right I mean I had plenty of college classes with three or four hundred pages of reading a week right which is not insignificant right it's a fair bit of time even for someone who reads pretty quickly like i do i depending on the thing i mean obviously with academic stuff it's harder to read really quickly often um but i can read novels at like you know up to like a hundred pages an hour um sometimes faster depending on the thing that i'm reading um, although often I read fairly dense things that I read closer to 60 pages an hour at. But anyway, the point of all that is to say that, you know, someone who reads very slowly and has a lot of trouble because they don't have the level of practice is going to be seriously disadvantaged. And I think this gets into an important point that has to do with um, ease and hab habitual behavior and kind of you know, setting up for challenging things by doing the easy things first. That's kind of a whole complicated thing. It's a little like um, one uh, sort of pithy statement that I heard one time talking about kind of RPGs and board games is, you know, if you're introducing someone to a board game and you want them to play it again, let them win the first time. And the point there being that, you know, if they have fun and win the first time, that they will continue to play it, even if you uh, make it much more difficult the later times by, you know, using all the rules and using playing to your advantage and all that sort of stuff, right? That letting them win the first time will get them hooked 
and then you can, you know, go hard against them. Um, anyway, and, and so the, the, the ADHDM talks a lot about building habits as based on kind of finding ways to bring things that you are interested in and attached to and value into the kind of habit production space. Um, and that's been a real kind of eye opener in some ways, thinking kind of analytically on that subject. Anyway, so uh, all of that kind of foundational stuff covered. Um, let's talk about me for a little bit. <laughs> uh, no, in all seriousness, I think there is uh, something to, to talk about here, which is to say, um, I'm really trying to embrace the idea of um, deliberately working on good habits, deliberately, um, you know, taking care of myself in a way that um, engenders mental and physical health. And I've been, been working on both of those for quite a long time now, um, especially the mental health stuff, um, became a kind of major concern of mine. Um, basically the, the fall after I graduated college, um, and, uh, started to realize that what I thought was sort of college burnout and, uh, basically had almost rationalized as bad allergies, um, wasn't actually that. And I ended up starting to work on, um, I, I talked to my doctor about antidepressants and ended up getting in contact with, uh, the, the therapist that I see regularly now to talk about, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and it's been, a uh, not a uh, complete string of successes, although I do think that on the whole it's been positive, um, although there have been some kind of rough moments. Uh, in particular, there's a, a period in um, August of 2019 where I had, I was on a, a particular uh, antidepressant that uh, rather than making me feel better, made me feel worse. And it was uh, really rough. And I, I've talked about that a couple times on the podcast before. Um, and there's some other periods where I've had, you know, pretty kind of mental health breakdown type things. Um, but on the whole, um, I think that it has been a, a, you know, positive movement in general. And, um, one of the things that happened after kind of a most recent element of, of breakdown or, or, um, difficulty that I, in kind of November of 2021, ended up kind of on a whim starting to do some sort of positive stuff. Um, in particular, I, um, Basically, it was right around Thanksgiving, um, and I sort of decided, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, exercise every day for a while. Um, and 
did that and then ended up exercising not quite every day of December. Um, but my, my goal was, you know, most of the days of December and kind of did a much better job of keeping that sort of thing going. Um, and there's a number of health benefits associated with that, including the fact that um, since then I have uh, lost a fair bit of weight, um, which is always nice. Um, and I intend to lose more by continuing to exercise and also doing a better job of uh, managing my diet, which is another element of that sort of thing. Um, and I, I kind of have gradually, I think, gotten better and better over the course of basically the last, you know, six months or so at embracing a lot of these kind of positive behaviors, positive habits, um, and sort of uh, a, a fresh start on a lot of things, right? One of the things that I think that I am prone to also has to do with kind of um, good money after bad money or um, being kind of demoralized about something and allowing a, an issue to become a bigger issue by virtue of sort of demoralized behavior, right? That somehow it's like, you know, make one mistake, right? It's kind of like a classic perfectionist thing, right? Make one mistake and, oh, it's not perfect anymore, so might as well trash it instead of being like, okay, so, you know, it's not 100%, but 70% is much better than 0% still, right? Um, and, and that's something that I've also sort of been working on. Um, but anyway, in terms of right now, what I am kind of generally trying to do is I'm still um, taking my uh, medicine. I am still taking a whole bunch of different kind of vitamins and things, which has been uh, remarkably helpful in a lot of ways. I think that um, vitamins and shit like that has been a, a really kind of surprisingly big benefit um, for my physical health, um, which I suspect means that I was uh, not getting nearly enough vitamins in my diet before and that I am now. But, you know, that's a that's a, another right. That's not throwing good money after bad money. Right. Don't don't get so wrapped up in having made those mistakes that you continue to make the mistake going forward. Right. Anyway, um, I am, yeah, so uh, taking medicine, taking vitamins, exercising regularly, which I'm, I'm really trying to figure out. Um, I think one of the things that I allowed myself to do a little bit was to kind of get, um, as with getting complacent about a lot of things, kind of get complacent with exercise, not in the sense of not doing it, but in the sense of not kind of focusing on it effectively. Um, and one of the things that I find is that it's a, especially with uh, free weights, which is to say that I try to exercise with, I've got uh, two pairs of dumbbells, one set of 15 pounders and one set of 25 pounders. And the, the 25 pounders are a very welcome Christmas gift from my grandparents. Um, that if I allow myself to kind of wander in some ways that, you know, form deteriorates, right? Which is a classic thing with exercise and that what I need to do is sort of get better 
at kind of maintaining the right level of focus, right? Because it's just sort of, you know, you focus too much and you end up getting wrapped up in the kind of, you know, physical discomfort of the exercise, but you focus not enough and you start, you know, swinging the weights around instead of controlling them well. And that's how you hurt yourself. Um, so I, I did do dumbbells today. Um, and I feel like I, I had a real, um, not necessarily a kind of complete breakthrough, but a real kind of positive, um, experience with my kind of, um, uh, level of focus and, um, just exercising slowly almost, right. The, the value of being deliberate in those exercise movements instead of kind of rushing through the, the movements and, and the way that that allows you to, you know, pay more attention to form and, um, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then I'm also doing some other things. So one thing that I, I sort of had an idea about, and it has been a, a remarkable, um, success in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think most people are familiar with the idea of, you know, count to 10 when you're angry, like as a way to take yourself out of a, a moment that is upsetting you and have a sort of enforced mental break, a little bit of focus on something else before re-engaging, right? Um, you know, count to 10 to calm down. Um, and I had this idea of why stop at 10, basically, and, and it sort of involves the concept of counting silently in your head to large numbers as a deliberate exercise of focus and patience. Um, and in particular, that it is not nearly as easy as it sounds, or, or rather that, you know, the, the actual process of counting, right? Everybody uh, basically all adults, you know, once you know how to count from one to 10, you sort of know how to count all of the numbers in a base 10 system, as long as you sort of know the name of the specific, um, digit, right? The, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands, 10,000, hundred thousand million, and then billion and then trillion and all that sort of stuff. Um, Right. So the, the how you do it is really straightforward, but actually doing it is surprisingly difficult. Right. The sitting and focusing in silence or in quiet on the process of one number after another, kind of saying the whole number in your head silently as an element of focus and specifically not to kind of drift off um, necessarily into sort of meditative nothingness, right? Which is, I think one of the things that you sort of can end up doing with that sort of thing, right? Is, is, right. That's sort of the goal of a lot of, uh, mantras and chants, right? Is this idea of sort of the repetition and the way that the repetition kind of fades into nothingness and you end up with this kind of empty mind state. And perhaps that would be good to explore too for myself. Um, but I'm trying to not get to that point to stay focused on the numbers and keep counting for a long time as a really deliberate exercise in continual focus 
and patience and, and kind of deliberate behavior. So far, the highest that I have hit is I've gotten to the 440s, which is uh, not an insignificant amount of time, in my opinion. You know, uh, if you do about one number a second, right, 300 seconds is five minutes. So 440s is what, like seven? No. Yeah, like seven plus minutes of sitting and counting silently, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that long, but in the moment it feels like a long time is sort of the thing. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure why it seems like such a positive habit to me, but it's been really good. Um, and so, you know what, just, you know, maybe it's worth just kind of accepting that it's good without necessarily, um, trying to dissect it at least right now. Um, so anyway, yeah, counting, that's one of those things. Um, I'm not necessarily trying to count every day or all the time. I'm sort of allowing myself a, a little flexibility with that, just kind of, you know, fit it in somewhere in the day and, you know, do a, like a 300 as just a sort of, you know, five minutes of deliberate focus and patience. Um, although I would really like to get into um, a longer count. I, I had this idea of, you know, how, what sort of like the maximum you could get to, right? So one idea I had was like, could you do like a thousand, right? Count to a thousand would be kind of a long time to sort of sit in silence and count for. Um, but it also might be really rewarding. And then I was thinking, okay, so could you do like 10,000, right? 10,000 seconds. Let me... 10,000 seconds, right, is 166 and a third minutes, which basically means that you're looking at, you know, 2.7 hours, 2.77 times 60 is equal to 46. So yeah, like two hours and 48 minutes or something like that. I'm, you know, not going to do all of the math exactly, but you get the idea, you know, one number a second, you're talking about hours of sitting in silence. Could you do it, right? Could you maintain focus for that long without losing track? And I don't know. I'm not sure if I could. I would like to be able to, and I think it might be rewarding to do, but I don't really know. And, and part of the point is that, you know, two hours and 50 minutes, that's, you know, that's a long time. You don't really have two hours and 50 minutes to spend doing that sort of stuff every day, probably, or at least I don't. Um, I, maybe some people do, but I am not good enough at managing my, uh, my time to, to do that sort of thing. Um, so anyway, um, but that's a, a thing that I've been doing is counting, counting to large numbers in silence as a deliberate exercise of patience. Um, and I've also been writing, which is to say that I sort of 
Um, similar to what I did with exercise back in November, I kind of had a similar kind of burst of inspiration to write. Um, and it also is related to, there's a, um, a, a YouTube channel where a guy does kind of skits based on the Myers-Briggs personality types. Um, and I don't remember what uh, all of the letters stand for, but I know that I, every time I take one of those tests, get an INTJ. Um, and the, this, this particular skit um, is uh, around New Year's resolutions. Um, and the INTJ character basically says, uh, you know, if you actually believed in making changes to your life, you wouldn't wait for New Year's. Um, and in the skit, I think that is supposed to come across as a little bit um, kind of asshole-ish, right? It's kind of a mean thing to say to somebody that you don't actually believe in making improvements to your life. But I think there is sort of a, a point there, right, which has to do with the, you know, there is a value in kind of using those sort of periodization elements as a chance to kind of look back and sort of take stock of what has come before and all of that. But there is also a way in which, you know, if you really want to make a change, why not just do it? Um, and that has sort of stuck with me of, you know, why not just do it, right? Default to attack, just, just, you know, go after it, you know, don't wait for the trash to pile up. Just take out the trash dummy, because it's not trash. Isn't going to get any less difficult to take out. Right. It's not going to be less. I mean, it's not even heavy, but it's not going to be less annoying to take out the trash in, you know, an hour or a day or a week or whenever it's going to be worse. Just go ahead and do it. Um, anyway, so I decided to get back into writing, um, and I had seen a, um, a thread on Twitter um, that had a whole bunch of kind of suggestions of, of websites that are useful tools for writers, um, a number of them being kind of ways to visualize things that you might have trouble visualizing otherwise, um, which is not something I am particularly concerned about. Um, but one of the things that was suggested was a tool that I have been using. This is called the Most Dangerous Writing App. Um, and the Most Dangerous Writing App is basically a um, text field that you can write into. And when you start it, there's a timer. And if you wait too long in between um, progressing in your writing, it'll delete everything that you've written up until the timer ends, at which point it stops, um, you know, threatening you basically. Um, and the, the default time is like five minutes. And so far I've done two days of five minutes and one day of 10 minutes. Um, I think one of the big things that it does for me is really gets into the difference between, um, the kind of, um, growth creative phase and the um, trim creative phase, right? The, the difference between drafting and editing as phases of a creative project and the way that those are fundamentally different um, elements of the creative process. And I think I, similar to all these other things, have sort of allowed myself to get into bad habits with writing that make writing much more arduous than it needs to be 
especially because of kind of bad time management and, you know, getting busy with, uh, you know, oh, there's a, I need to write this essay tonight, so I don't really have time to, you know, sit with it and edit it. So I better write it good the first time. And that's much more difficult than just, you know, writing a first draft and then editing it. And you also end up with a better product if you separate those things out. Um, which is to say that this kind of writing tool, I think, has been useful in trying to, you know, one of the things about trying to kind of edit as you write is that it goes much more slowly. And that doesn't work with the most dangerous writing app because it'll delete everything you've written. Um, so you've got to keep making forward progress. Um, and I think that has been a surprisingly good thing for me, um, a, a surprising benefit to my um, kind of habit forming elements. Um, so, so far I've done three days of writing every day and have written somewhere on the order of 900 words um, as a result of that. I haven't done any editing on any of the stuff I have written yet, um, although I probably need to at some point. Um, but then I had a further idea. And it's getting into, um, it's going to sound like I am uh, in the grip of uh, a manic period of my mental health, but I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm stable. Um, which is to say that I was looking through um, suggestions on Amazon's uh, Kindle storefront. Um, they sent me a uh, uh, whatchamacallit, an email with a bunch of, hey, books you might like. And one of the things that, that I ended up actually buying because it was on sale was a book called Sweat the Technique by Rakim, who is a, a hip hop uh, musician um, that I basically only know because Eric B. and Rakim's song Microphone Fiend is covered by Rage Against the Machine on their album Renegades, which I like a whole lot. Um, but, you know, expanding horizons and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, and so then Amazon said, oh, you want to buy books that are about the, you know, process of creativity. Well, here's a ton of things that you might buy from us, um, which is less nice. Um, but one of the things, uh, there's a... Um, uh, a book that they recommended to me called How to Write a Novella in 24 Hours and Other Questionable and Possibly Insane Advice on Creativity for Writers by an author named Andrew Maine, M-A-Y-N-E. Um, and uh, the book itself is on Kindle Unlimited, which I don't have, or it's $4 to buy if you don't have Kindle Unlimited, and it's only like 70 pages, so I haven't bought it because I don't feel like paying $4 for 70 pages of text. Um, but the idea has stuck in my head, right? Similar to the idea of counting to 10,000, right? Could you write a novella in 24 hours? And I don't know. I'm not sure. But I'm going to try this weekend. That's the plan. Um, so I sort of worked out a schedule for my work stuff to try to get a full 40-hour work week into four days of working, um, which has gone pretty well so far. 
And uh, I have this idea that the plan right now, so I am one of those people that is uh, just, just needs a regular kind of sleep schedule to function and all of that sort of stuff. I, I can't operate on, you know, particularly reduced sleep or anything like that. Um, so staying up for 24 hours and doing it all in one sitting is not a good plan. Um, so what I had the idea of, okay, we'll just break it up, you know, do it in, in several chunks. So the plan right now is, uh, six hours on Friday afternoon, 1 PM to 7 PM, and then six hours on Saturday afternoon, noon to 6 PM, and then 10 hours on Sunday, because we're not doing Sunday breakfast Sunday morning, because we're doing uh, dinner on Saturday night, which is why I have to end by six so that I can be at dinner by about 630. Um, from about 10 a.m. to about 8 p.m., that would be 22 hours of work. Could I write a solid 20,000 words or so story in that time? And I don't know. I'm not sure. But, you know, why not try, right? Why not mess around with it, this sort of where I'm at right now, you know, why not go for it? Cause you know, you don't make it, who cares? Big deal. Try again later or, you know, figure out a different thing that's going to work for you. So anyway, that's my plan for this weekend is that I'm going to try to write a, uh, uh, a somewhere on the order of 20 to 30,000 word novella. Um, basically spend a couple of hours Friday afternoon kind of working on an outline and drafting out things and then spend Saturday afternoon and most of the day Sunday writing. And why not? Just, you know, go for it. Who gives a shit? You know, why not? Why not just do it? Because you might as well, right? Like counting to 10,000. Like exercising because why not you know what do you you know it's fun and like and like playing medieval 2 total war instead of sitting at the computer and wanting to play and not having the energy to do so right doesn't make any sense to just sit and wait right habits of passivity and all that so why not just try? So anyway, that's what I'm going to do this weekend is write a whole bunch um, and also hopefully play in a game on Saturday morning. And uh, who knows what else? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it means that I am quite busy uh, this week in terms of work. So that is fun. And I also didn't even get the one thing that I had on my list to get done today done today because when I well it's a whole kind of series of misadventures with that and you know the way that uh projects grow in the doing and all of that sort of stuff but anyway um so yeah that's kind of where I'm at right now lots of you know projects and working on good habits and and being creative and shit like that which you know why not so yeah that's uh, that's what's going on with me. Um, I guess that's kind of the whole thing. That's what I got for today. Um, I have another couple of things that I wanted to work on and talk about. Um, I've got a, 
um, my buddy Che Webster, who you have heard on here uh, more than a few times, and uh, you have probably heard me if you've listened to his podcast, um, because he puts my call-ins on his podcast when I um, call in to his show. Um, and uh, he has been writing uh, blog posts, basically like one a day for quite a, uh, for, for April. Um, I think he has uh, put that on pause a little bit that he's, uh, or not entirely on pause, but kind of uh, not uh, trying to do every day for the month of May. Um, anyway, which I don't know. I haven't necessarily talked directly with him about that, although maybe I should. Um, anyway, I've been, uh, I haven't been doing a good job of uh, keeping up with all of his posts there, um, but I had a, a sort of idea to kind of go through and, and talk a little bit about a lot of the stuff that he wrote basically for the month of April. Um, 2022 and kind of, you know, just uh, share some of the things that my buddy Che has to say, I guess, because I think a lot of them are uh, insightful and interesting and worth paying attention to. Um, so I don't know, I might end up doing something like that. Um, I have uh, a number of different kind of irons in the fire that uh, I talked about uh, many of those things already, but kind of different, uh, you know, YouTube projects and podcast projects to work on, um, especially because some of the YouTube projects turn into podcast projects as well, at least when I can be bothered to upload them here. Um, but yeah, you know, lots of, lots of stuff going down, lots of fun things um, that I'm working on. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll report back on how things go, you know, we'll, we'll see what I uh, come up with, what I end up writing over the weekend, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll see what goes on. Um, anyway, if you have any uh, comments, questions, concerns, anything like that, if you just want to call in to hear the sound of your voice on my podcast, you can do so. Although, uh, as I mentioned before, there's a, a certain flavor of call-in that will be met with ridicule um, rather than uh, good faith agreement and, and discussion. Um, so be aware of that. Um, and aside from that, uh, you know, hope everybody is doing well staying safe, staying healthy, and having lots of fun gaming, whether that's solo play or group gaming or any other sort of, you know, if you're playing board games or miniature war games or any of the other various, you know, uh, homo ludens, time occupations, right? Isn't that what uh, Huizinga's book is called, Homo Ludens? I don't remember. It's been a long time since I read any Huizinga. I read um, the the Autumn of the Middle Ages. I think is the the name of the one that I read, and it was great. But I haven't read anything of his recently. Um, anyway, yeah, have fun gaming. 
with whatever games it is you play, um, as long as they're not, you know, games of the heart or whatever they describe, you know, screwing with people and manipulating them because that's not as cool. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not your dad. Do whatever you feel like. Um, anyway, yeah, um, I am totally rambling at this point, clearly. I think I am approaching my bedtime um, because I was busy today. And also, I didn't even mention it in the episode, but I was woken up at like 6.45 a.m. this morning. My upstairs neighbor, um, I, I don't know if it's the news or like a radio show or what, but it's some sort of, you know, person talking on TV or radio or something. And sometimes they listen to it not so loud and I'm able to sleep through it. And this morning it was so loud that it woke me up and then I felt basically kind of unable to even hear myself think while I was in my bedroom. So I basically uh, pretty much crawled out to my living room and put my shoes on and walked outside so that I could, you know, actually process thoughts. Um, and it was horrible and I hate it. And, and goddamn, why can't people just be quiet? Don't want to hear your bullshit. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, don't, don't bother people with your noise. Um, if you know, that's it. I think that's kind of like a, a important thing too. Anyway. Um, yeah, but that's why I'm tired at 9.23 p.m. because I woke up so dang early, um, which is not even that early for other people, but I am one of those people that desperately needs all the sleep that they can get, so whatever. And also, I, you know, lifted weights and went for multiple walks and got a shitload of stuff done today, so I'm not going to apologize for being tired. Um, you guys can can suck it. Um, anyway, yeah, um, I've been Arlen Walker, I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time, or maybe not if you get, you know, pissed off by the rambly bullshit here at the end. Who knows? <sighs> yeah, and just, you know, learn to, to, you know, respond to chaos with aggression instead of hunkering down and waiting for somebody else to save you, I guess, you know, default to attack. I don't know. Again, totally rambling. See you next time.